This is TDPS. Hi, I'm Eric Shaw Quinn, and everyone here at TDPS would like to congratulate my co-host and best friend, Christopher Rice, also known as steamy romance author C. Travis Rice, on the publication of Sapphire Storm, the third novel in his Sapphire Cove series. Sapphire Storm is the drama-filled tale of a forbidden romance that exposes old secrets and incurs the wrath of the powerful and the famous. It went on sale March 7th, along with the first two entries in the series, Sapphire Sunset and Sapphire Spring. It's available wherever eBooks are sold. Congratulations, C. Travis Rice, and congratulations, Christopher. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the dinner party show, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at Facebook.com slash The Dinner Party Show. No, I meant in the car. Hi, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Gwen. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. We are back in the studio and we are back with Brandon our sound engineer, who is a normal He's person again. He's actually been here right along, but the real Brandon is back. The real Brandon is back. He was working on another job. He was exhausted. He was stressed out. He became the evil pod person version of Brandon. He threw stuff at us That's when we asked simple questions. He did. You weren't true. here. I was alone. I was alone. And he had, no, he didn't really. He didn't throw anything at me. But we love Brandon. And he's laughing and joking and enduring Eric's tirades against Apple products, which is how he opens every recording session that we do. Say it. Say it, Eric. Say the thing about one neck. It's the thing about one neck. <laughs> I wish Apple had one neck so I could wring it. <laughs> and yet, you have an iPad, you have an iPhone. That's why. None of which were provided by Apple for promotional Absolutely purposes. Absolutely not. And if they want to start like sending me some sweet, sweet merch, well, we can maybe talk <laughs> about a better attitude. But their profit motives and their just insatiable desire to make everything more convenient and change absolutely everything all the time yeah. makes me a little crazy. Yeah, I was. I have to say I got the, I think it was GQ. Tim made the cover of GQ. As one of the, the that world's would be most Tim cre- Cook, yes. CEO of Apple, for those who don't know. one of the world's know. most creative people. And it kind of pissed me off. Really? Why is that? Because I just don't see them as being very creative anymore. They're so profit-driven now mm. that they're the most profitable company in the history of humanity or whatever it is that I don't really see them as a creative force any longer. If Brandon had a mic fed into the recording yeah. right now, he would be like, that is absolutely not true. He's like actually doing other stuff. <laughs> I can see him behind you. He's like re-alphabetizing the booth. I, I don't know what's going on in there, but he's not. he doesn't pay any attention to us. And Apple, neither Brandon nor Apple give a shit what I think about Apple. 
and they're wise not to because I'm this big and they're everything else. You're also very opinionated. Yes, yes. yes but, very yeah. opinionated. So we recently had a Wednesday question on the Dinner Party Show's Facebook page. That's something we was do. Was it about hating Wednesday. Apple? No, but it was about, it was what do you like hearing out of us, you know? Other, oh. And it was opinions. That's what they all said, opinions, opinions. Nobody even really said true crime. I want to hear what you all think of things. Well, they're yeah. going to hear what we think of true crime because yeah. I'm not giving that up. <laughs> and Apple. And Apple. And Murder and Mysteries. Netflix. And, and, and streaming. And, and Hollywood. Yes. And arts and theater. It's inevitable with you. You are a forest of opinions, Eric Shaw. Yeah, I don't have a lot of opinions about, like, quantum mechanics. And <laughs> it sounds complicated. And, That's uh, my opinion. computer programming. I don't really know anything about those things, so I don't have really strong opinions about that. Although, you know, I do have my opinion about the Big Bang Theory. Yes, what is it? Well, I think that we're approaching a point where we're going to have to come up with something new to explain the origin of the universe because it just doesn't work anymore. Really? I don't think it works. Really? In, in the time that we if there, have? If there has to be like three quarters more matter to the entire universe that we can't see, find, or demonstrate exists in order for the universe to behave the way it does. Mm -hmm. I think we've reached a point where we, our scientific theories no longer explain mm -hmm. what we're trying to explain, and it's time for a new theory, and I think that's where it comes from. Do you have a new theory? No. Okay. I don't. I, you know, like, the, the, the analogy that seems more akin to what we're experiencing and what we're observing is a river, Mm, how so? Because things continue to flow away. Like the initially, when I was first in school, the, there was the Big Bang, and then the universe was going to contract back. Like it was going to reach a point of, you know, it's the furthest part that it could get, and then mm -hmm. it was going to start coming back together, and eventually it would all recompact back into, and that's just clearly not happening. Mm. And it continues to flow, and it's heading in all directions and all ways at the same time, and it's becoming more diffuse rather than less. And... That doesn't really necessarily match up with mm -hmm. what we'd originally said. And it just seems to me that we've reached – there was a point in explaining the universe where the, we were trying to explain the universe with the Earth as the center of the universe. Right. And it became – our explanation became more and more and more and more complex right. in order to make that theory work. I always say it's the, the Ptolemaic spheres, right? Right, the crystal spheres. Right, where things had them, to yeah. orbit in crystal spheres that we couldn't see in the universe in order to explain their behavior if the Earth was the center of the universe. And then one day somebody said, what if the Earth wasn't the center of the universe? And then everything sort of fell into place. It changed our view of the Nothing right. really changed. And I think we're at the place of Ptolemaic spheres again. I think we're at a place where we keep trying to make what we're observing and discovering fit an old theory mm -hmm. that isn't working anymore. Right. Anyway, that's what I think. And I you know, like stopped going to math and science classes after 10th grade because I couldn't do it anymore. So I am not the guy to turn to in this sense. But so did Einstein. I mean, he just dropped out and did meth, right? Isn't that the Einstein story? That's something like that. I read it on the internet, so it's so right. So it must be true. It's a Wiki It's in his Wikipedia entry. Uh, meth Stein. That's coming here this fall on TDPS. <laughs> <laughs> what if Einstein had done math? Well, it would explain the hair. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, he would have no hair because he would have cut it with toenail clippers, and it was just anyway. Uh, we'll work that up. We'll work up. We'll work up some pitches. We'll get a pitch for meth back Stein. To you. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about what we're doing this month. What do you are we doing, doing this month? I was going to say, do you remember what we're doing I'm this sure month? I have an opinion about it. We're beginning a, <laughs> <According to> we're beginning <laughs> a cross-country um, 
road trip of terror. We're beginning the True Crime Movie Time Summer Film Festival. That's it. I remember. I think I even thought of that. You did. You came up with the name. (laughs) Uh, But here's what it is. Okay, so we're going to, each month, we're going to do a different region of the United States. And this month is California Screaming. So, spoiler alert, it's about California. Surprise. We're going to do a True Crime TV Club and a True Crime Movie Time, which we typically call a True Crime Pairing here at TDPS. Uh, two a month, set in the same region of the country. So we're going to tackle Zodiac first, and that's up today with the True Crime TV Club. And then the David Fincher film, the director's cut, Zodiac, will be next week. And then after that, we're doing a two-part True Crime TV Club in one episode about the Hillside Stranglers, followed by a TV movie from 1989 called The Case of the Hillside Stranglers. Starring Richard Crenna from The Real McCoys. Absolutely. <laughs> And then next month we're going to be doing another part of the country, but we'll tell you about that later. We don't we don't want to hit you with too much information up front. I don't know. I think it's too late for that. <laughs> I think that ship may have already sailed. I like pie charts and graphs and PowerPoint presentations, even though I don't know how to work PowerPoint. Uh, but anyway, so today's True Crime TV Club, and this is the standard disclaimer, you do not need to have watched or watched the episode of television we're going to talk about today because we serve it up for you in such steaming detail. You'll feel like you watched it yourself with Eric sharing his opinions right next to you the whole time. And me as well. Right. The show is called History's Greatest Mysteries. With Cowboy Bob. Who's Cowboy Bob? <laughs> who's Cowboy Bob? I think it's Cowboy Bob. Who's Cowboy Bob? It's, it's, who's the host of this? Um... Uh, Lawrence Fishburne. Oh, I think that he Cowboy used to be Bob? Cowboy Bob on on on, on Pee Wee's Playhouse. Playhouse. Oh, cool! Didn't he? Am I going to have to cut this out? All right. Well, you no. You just look it up while I talk about while I give them too much information at their home where they're partying or in their car where they're listening. So it's history's greatest mysteries, and the episode is called "Who Is the Zodiac Killer?" It's season four, episode two. It is not available on Discovery Plus. Cowboy Curtis. Cowboy I apologize. Curtis. Cowboy Curtis. Okay. It's not available on Discovery Plus, but it is available on Amazon for rent or for sale. It's like two bucks an episode. Okay, that's enough information. Now what's up with that? Like, does Disney own it or not? Like, don't they? Didn't they buy the National Geographic and history and all that stuff? Or they did, and that's why I think the first two seasons are on Disney Plus, and then the subsequent seasons must still be under contract to other streaming platforms. Because I I find that a lot. Like, not all of the seasons will be in the same place. So I don't know how the deals work. It's very I'm chaotic. shaking my head in disgust. Yeah, it's crazy. All right, T, T. I need Life tea. should be more convenient. I'm going to say this at the outset, mm-hmm. okay, before we dive in here. Yes. I realize this is the Zodiac case, if you're not familiar with it, is a true crime epic. And spoiler alert, it's still unsolved to this day. Although there are some people who have some pretty strong opinions about who it probably was. Nobody was ever arrested. Nobody was ever tried. Um, this is probably, in terms of True Crime TV Club, this was an hour, and I take notes on these episodes. This was the most dense, information-packed episode. I felt like a court reporter trying to put these notes together. It is a really complicated case. It has evolved over a really long period of time. I mean, not compared to, say, Jack the Ripper, but right. um, it's been pretty contemporary. And there have been a number of what seemed like 
really certain leads, right. which the show, I thought, did a nice job of pursuing and talking about why they thought it might be and then why they thought it might not be. Right. So yeah. they went through those things, too. But, yeah, it it was at the end, I thought, wow, that was just an hour. It yeah. was a lot of material. It was a lot. And so I think the log line for a lot of this, and we'll obviously dive into the details as we talk about the show, is that over a period of several years in the late 60s and early 70s, a serial killer mostly attacked couples, uh, straight couples, in the San Francisco Bay Area. I'm going to say, I think we should say a serial killer claimed. Uh-huh. Yeah, I was headed there. Yeah. Um, claimed <laughs> to have attacked these couples in the Bay Area and sent a series of really terrifying letters to the local newspapers there. Which they ran. Which they ran, and which included ciphers. Some, one of which was much easier to figure out than others, uh, that included a code that unlocked further messages from this supposed serial killer. Okay, never caught. Huge source of obsession for a lot of people, as we'll see on the next episode, the filmmaker David Fincher, who's actually from the San Francisco Bay Area. Clearly was obsessed with this case. Conducted his own investigation before making his own movie. We'll leave that for next week. But this week we'll talk about the facts of everything. Okay. I've already forgotten how to pronounce the name of the California town where it all began. And given that I grew up in Northern California, I feel particularly ashamed of this. But I think it's Benicia or Benicia, California. Is I think I right? would go with Sia, not Benicia. Chia. Benicia. Benicia. It's one C. Okay. I, that's what I would go with. If it was Italian, maybe it would be Chia, but I don't think it is. So, Well, there is an Italian presence in, the, in Northern California, but who knows? Someone who is listening knows and will tell us on the Facebook that page. That we're ignorant fools who yes, got it wrong. But absolutely. I would go with Benicia. Uh, December 20th, 1968, a woman named Stella Borges is driving a country road at 11 p.m. She rounds a bend in the road and finds two bodies lying on the ground. She drives until she can flag down a police car. Later that night, the bodies are identified as 16-year-old Betty Lou Jensen and David Faraday. Uh, David is actually 17, and he was killed by a single gunshot behind his right ear. Gunshot wound, I should say. Betty Lou was shot five times in the back. Uh, the special then introduces us to what I'm going to call scripted talking heads, which is becoming more and more common in what we're doing, which is maybe a good thing. But they're clearly reading from teleprompters. They're identified as various forensic experts, as well as people who are affiliated possibly with the investigation or with local law enforcement. And so they tell us that there were no leads in this murder for seven months. And then on July 4th, 1969, a phone call is taken by a Vallejo police dispatcher. Remember where we've heard that name before. We did a whole episode on the Vallejo Police Department. The most department. terrible police department in California. 20 years later or 30 yes. years later. I don't know if they were yeah. then, but it doesn't. I saw that and I thought, mm -hmm. hmm, back to Vallejo. Vallejo is a small town north of San Francisco Bay and a little bit inland. I think it's still on the bay. Um, but anyway, to, just to give us people a sense of the geography. Uh, so the police dispatcher is a woman named Nancy Slover. She takes the call, and the caller describes in a low voice where two new bodies can be found and how they've been shot. And he also adds in the detail that he killed those kids last year, in quotes. <laughs> Just as a throwaway. Um, this new couple who have been murdered are in Blue Rock Springs Park in Vallejo, four miles from the first crime scene. They're another young couple. They're suffering from multiple gunshot wounds when the police arrive. 
Unfortunately, 22-year-old Darlene Farron is gone by the time they show up, but 19-year-old Michael Majot survives, and he's able to describe the attack and tell police that a stranger shined a flashlight in their faces before firing five shots. He describes the suspect as Caucasian, 30 years old, 5'8", 200 pounds, with short, curly hair. On July 31, 1969, the killer sends the first of what will become many letters to the local press and includes a three-part coded message, or what they call a cipher. He sends it to three different newspapers in the Bay Area. He demands that they publish it, or he says he will kill more people. And he reveals things about the crime that he wouldn't be able to know if he hadn't didn't have inside information about the crime itself. Like if he hadn't committed it or had some way to right. have that information. So right. they take him seriously. It doesn't just seem like some crank letter, even though it kind of looks like it. Um, right. Yeah. So, and he also identifies himself as the Zodiac, right? In the second of the first two letters, he refers to himself as the Zodiac in the second letter? I think it's the second letter, yeah. as I recall it. It's been, there were a lot of letters because there are way more letters than there are murders. Which I think I lit on as well. Is you a know, key like part it of this became case. more yeah. about him promoting himself and being famous than it did him actually doing crimes Mm-hmm. He threatened a lot of stuff that he didn't do, and he did stuff that he did or didn't do. But what he really was consistent about was keeping himself in the press. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Eric and I aren't just podcasters. And bitches. That's right. We're also authors. And you can buy all of our books at www.thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv and wherever ebooks are sold. At thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv, you can check out my Right Murder mystery series. Or sample my Burning Girl thrillers. The best part is, the more you buy our books, the less likely we'll end up filling the spot with an annoying ad for a napkin that counts your calories. The TDPS Network, alienating potential advertisers one promo at a time. So just to clarify, the Zodiac sent letters to the newspapers that spelled out some explicit threats, but he also sent a cipher that was for them to de- decode. I didn't want to give the impression that the all of the letters were in code, because they weren't. But when a couple from Salinas, California, decodes the first cipher, there's a further terrifying kind of mission statement that's revealed uh, man is the most dangerous animal of all, and he is, claims to be killing his victims so that they will be his slaves in the afterlife. That's all revealed by the cipher. Sorry, what were you going to say? I'm sorry, I was supposed to remember that whole time. Um, <laughs> I, I was wondering if you were aware if he, when he first sent the letters, he sent them to a number of different papers, but the focused subsequent to that is entirely on, is it the Chronicle? The San Francisco paper. The San Francisco, San Francisco had two newspapers at the time, and I think he sent them to both the Examiner and the Chronicle, and then whatever and the, the, Vallejo n- paper. the North Bay paper was. Right. Yeah. And that was for the first one. He sent three different letters. Yes. But 
subsequently, did he continue to send them to all of those sources and did all of those sources continue to publish? Or was it just because the focus is, as I've looked at it, was Mm -hmm. just the one San Francisco paper. I've never heard anybody mention anybody or anything about the other papers subsequent to that first mailing. It just dawned on me. I know this is like... And I think Stumping the reason you. for that, and this gets a little bit into the next episode, is that the definitive book on the case was written by a report by an employee of the Chronicle, who was Robert Graysmith, who is played by Jake Gyllenhaal in the movie we're going to talk about next week. So the Chronicle's experience of receiving those letters got the most treatment in the press, or the most adaptation, if you will. Right. But I don't know if any. I don't know if that means the letters did not continue to go out to the other papers. I think, given what a publicity hog whoever this was, it would be hard to believe yeah. that he stopped. But there's literally, even if Graysmith wrote the definitive book, you would think he would continue to mention that he was, you know, that it was like press releases yeah. going out to multiple. I don't know papers. He would also because. They were not typed. They were handwritten. It would mm-hmm. also increase the number of handwriting samples right. to investigate, which I also haven't. I, it, I'm not expecting you to know the answer. This yeah. is literally something that's occurring to me as we're talking about this case. Yeah. Anyway, it's 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 a sidetrack. I, I apologize, but but it just is like, huh? Yeah. I no. need to look that up. It's a good question. Yeah. I mean, there's also the possibility that the letters were, what did they call it then, mimeographed, copied, you know, that he wrote one by hand and then... But that's even more, like, mm-hmm. evidence that hasn't ever been mentioned. Yeah. I don't know. We'll find out. We're going to be talking about because this for a lot. Because there would be an original and, the, yeah. and a mimeographed machine and all of those things, if that was, in fact, what you were doing. Or he could Xerox them, I guess, but yeah, he'd have to have access... I, I don't know. That just seems... We'll find out. Yeah. Typically with questions like these, we find out at the end of my notes about something else. It reveals itself. But anyway, right. so on September 27th, 1969, uh, someone claiming to be Zodiac calls the police and tells the dispatcher that he wants to report a double murder at Lake Berryessa in Napa County. Brian Hartnell and Cecilia Ann Shepard have been stabbed multiple times. Uh, Shepard has died. Hartnell has survived. Second time that the man has survived the attack and the woman has perished. Yeah, they said it didn't hit any, even though he was stabbed multiple times, it didn't hit any primary, any major organs. That is really weird. And there's a theory for that that they talk about in the movie that I didn't necessarily agree with. So we'll get to that (laughs) teaser for that next week, why that might be. But anyway. Uh, so, okay, Hartnell has survived. So once again, we have a male survivor who was able to give some sort of description of what happened. And he says the man was over six feet tall. He was heavy set. He was wearing a hooded costume with a circular symbol on the chest, which is the same that appears in the letters. And I think it's worth noting, though it never really gets mentioned, that's the cross of Odin. Oh, I didn't know that. That, that symbol is the cross of Odin, that... Tell what is the cross of Odin? It is it is the symbol of the god of Odin from North mythology. Wow. Nobody says that in either this it or the. It really it really strikes me. Nobody talks about investigating Zodiac that name. They come up with their their little easy theory and then they never mention it again. Like that, I have thoughts about that. Okay. And they never mention 
the the symbol itself, which is like right. those things. This is so about symbology, mm-hmm. to use the um, the Dan Brown term. I don't know if right. it exists outside of that book, mm-hmm. um, but it um, certainly. <laughs> Is that Odin? <laughs> I think Odin is scratching we at the window. heard a noise outside no that idea. was like... It was terrifying noise. Terrifying. Okay. We'll leave um, that in just in yeah. case it was Odin. It was Odin running his giant godlike fingernails yeah. across the uh, some giant um, chalkboard somewhere right. in heaven. Um, but um, they, I, the number of signs or the connection to the signs or the connection to the heavens or star cross, none of that ever gets talked about really. Mm-hmm. And those are parts of what this symbol-driven person is giving them. And I, I've always thought that was really strange. Like, why are you not addressing this at all? Well, and I'm going to say in deference to them, we're doing a pretty exhaustive survey, but they reference f- two other multi-episode documentary series in the course of this series that may well dive into that. And I think there's such an online community around this case that somebody out there has has analyzed that. But why they don't get front stage treatment in this. Right, because so yeah. much else does. I'm just it's just it's such a big part of the in the 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 presence of Zodiac. Mm-hmm. First right. that name and right. then second the symbol that it surprises me that it doesn't lead the investigation. Like at yeah. some level, either at least to be dismissed. Exactly. Yeah. I, I just I don't know. I've always thought that was a weird part of the whole uh, Zodiac mythology. And again, it may be because of that book. Right. Uh, and and we'll see. We'll see. Because I think, I think we brush up against that topic later, and I think we can talk about the theory that they do have for the symbol, how strong or how weak that theory is, because you mentioned it. But we're about to get to it. Witnesses in the Lake Berryessa area say they saw a man lurking in the vicinity in the time before Brian Hartnell was attacked and Cecilia Ann Shepard was murdered. They identify this man as Arthur Lee Allen. He was fired from his school teacher job for molesting a student. His alibi is that he was scuba diving far away at Salt Point, which is on the Pacific coast of California. But no one can corroborate this alibi. One of his close friends tells police that Alan is writing a book about a killer who slays couples and calls himself the Zodiac. Police interview Alan's brother, Ron, and his brother says their mother gave Alan a Zodiac brand wristwatch featuring a crossed circle symbol like the one used by the killer. And this really becomes the only address of the symbol, as you said earlier. Well, there is one other. Okay, there's one other. All right. Um... There's a problem here, and this is going to become a trend. There's a discrepancy between the two witness statements. There's a survivor of one attack who says the man, uh, the man who attacked them looks a certain way. He describes curly hair. That's not what the survivor of the Lake Berryessa attack does. But, but the, he says the guy was costumed and hooded, but the height and the weight are off. Isn't that right? Like one, one has him being much taller than he was. Yes. One attack is happening in the daytime, we believe, or the movie we're going to talk about next week leads us to believe that. Uh, the other attack, the first one happened at night with a flashlight, so seems and less reliable. Also worth noting, the witnesses were both shot and stabbed multiple times right. in both of those cases. So you can see how their memory might be fussy. Um, and we're going to get into another lane of investigation that is used to disqualify a lot of potential suspects and in the opinion of some, including me, possibly too many sub- suspects, which is handwriting analysis. 
handwriting expert claims that Alan Lee, uh, excuse me, author Lee Allen's writing does not match the Zodiac letters. But Nancy Slover, the police dispatcher who took that first call from the person claiming to be responsible for the murders of the kids, she doesn't think Alan's voice is the voice she heard on the phone that night. Alan dies in 1992 without ever being arrested or charged. This is an incre- This special has a lot of ground to cover, and this is an incredibly quick survey of the author Lee Allen <laughs> uh, vein of this, which we will get back to in more detail next yes. week in our next episode. Um, here's where things got really weird for me. October 1969, there was another Zodiac murder, and it is... When you are shaking your head. Eric Shaw Quinn is shaking his damn head. Okay, let me take us through the facts, then you can let loose yeah. on this one. Uh, so we're in the city of San Francisco for the first time in this case. Everything else has happened in the North Bay or outside the outside the city limits. Three teenagers are sitting in their San Francisco apartment in the Presidio District. They look out their window and they see a man hovering over a taxi driver in what appears to be a robbery. Uh, the guy wipes down the cab with a cloth before he leaves, and they see that the taxi driver, 29-year-old Paul Stein, has been killed with a gunshot wound to the head. This will be—these are what my notes say, and then I'll let your head shaking take wing. This will be the last killing that Zodiac will explicitly take credit for in a later letter. Okay, Eric Shaw Quinn. I just don't think the Zodiac had anything to do with this killing. You don't. You don't. I do okay. not think it—it does not match— any of the rest of his stuff, any of the other things, everything about it is just wrong. And they, and the thing that it does, it is, it inserts an a very unreliable mm-hmm. eyewitness sketch, right, into the investigation that disqualifies all kinds of other people and misdirects the entire investigation. And let me give the facts around that, okay? Because the police call goes out, we've got a cab driver murdered in his cab. Cops come streaming to the crime scene, and two of the cops claim that they saw a strange man walking away from the scene at the time that they didn't stop and pull him over because they'd been called to the crime scene and they couldn't. Um, that that account from them produces what is arguably the most widely disseminated scre- a sketch excuse me, of a potential suspect of the Zodiac Killer, which is then also used to eliminate scores of potential suspects. And you're saying... This was not a Zodiac killing. I don't think it was a Zodiac killing. I just, there's nothing about it other than the 9mm um, gun mm-hmm. to connect it to Zodiac. It's messy. It's not the same thing. And if those, if two police officers saw that guy walking through the park and he was not covered in the victim's blood right. and they didn't, and they just missed it, yeah. that he's covered in blood and let him go because he wasn't black. Right. Which is because they had been told to look out for a black male, which is like why? No, that was never that was made the, clear. The initial yeah. call, and so they were right. looking for a black male fleeing the scene, and then it was a white guy fleeing the scene who was not covered with blood. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, everything everything about it just doesn't, and it is the beginning of taking credit for something that is heavily reported right in the paper after the fact which is a, which is a trend that begins from this point forward right. with the zodiac killer i think i don't think the zodiac did this murder and it is the other thing that i think is that it may be a case for the zodiac not being one person mhm yeah there is also i don't know if we mentioned this already there is a partial latent fingerprint bloody fingerprint from the cab that while they know it can never be used in court because it's a partial 
It is also used to eliminate, and in one instance that we'll see much later, qualify a potential suspect. Right. So there's a lot, if, if your theory is true, there's a lot that goes wrong in this case around the taxi cab I murder. just think it doesn't, and it also takes place in San Francisco, yes. which is, in the, why the taxi cab driver? Why would, and, and robs him. Yeah. Does he rob him? He eight dollars and something thirty cents. It was one of his early fares in oh, the evening. Okay. It wasn't he yeah. didn't even have much money on him? But every everything about it is just wrong. The other thing that it that it brings up is that the zodiac is multiple signs. Mm. The zodiac is not one. The zodiac is thirteen, isn't it? Mm. Eric Shaw Quinn, you're smart. I just that's an interesting choice for a name for. A single person, because the yeah. Zodiac is not a single thing. Yeah. It is multiple things. Okay. Anyway. So um, at this point, what the special starts to do is, because the murders stop in 1974. The murders that, and as you pointed out, they're not all murders that can be directly attributed to Zodiac. They are murders through which a letter writer claiming to be the Zodiac claims to take credit for. But in 74, they stop. I was born in San Francisco in 1978, and I grew up— So you're completely off the I'm hook. completely innocent. But my father is not—no. He, he always said he was of the school. The guy went to jail for another crime. That was what everybody said. He was in jail for another crime. But it scared the shit out of my mother. She didn't want to go anywhere alone. They were living there. There were young people in the in the Bay Area during this time. Yeah. Everyone was fucking terrified. I bet. Like, it was just... Because it seemed to be... Particularly when you go from... If you are going to go with the theory that the uh, Paul Stein murder is part of it, well, then it's completely random. It could be anyone. It could be a man alone. It could be a woman alone. It could be a couple at a lake. It could be... That's way more scary. Anyway. Yeah, I just think that the couple's... You know, are anyway. Anyway, so what we'll get through now is the special sort of departs from a blow-by-blow timeline and starts analyzing the potential suspects that have been put forward over the years, in many cases, by amateur investigators. Eric. Yes, Christopher? Have you been to my website lately? Why would I go to your website? You're sitting right here. Well, it's the place to find out all about my new books. Why would I go to your website for that? Again, you're sitting right here. All right. Well, for people who aren't right here, ChristopherRiceBooks.com is a great place to get information about my new releases. Which you'll give me copies of because I'm sitting right here. Yeah, maybe. But for those who aren't currently sitting in our studio on the Sunset Strip, check out my website, sign up for my mailing list, and check out all the posts on my blog where I talk smack about Eric Shaw Quinn. What smack? Shut up and read this new book I wrote. Fuck that and fuck ChristopherRiceBooks.com. This ad did not go as planned. This was an ad? So at this point, the special starts to move pretty quickly, given it's only an hour long, through all of the various suspects and theories of the case that have been put forward over the years. And I mean over the years, up until the present day. They reference one documentary series that came out in the mid-2000s, you know, a a man who claimed that his biological father was the Zodiac. Um, I think before I sort of do a survey of them, the, the other pieces of evidence that were being used was a wing walker boot print which was found at one of the murder scenes in, in outside Vallejo, which is a type of boot that is in the Army or the Air Force. I can't remember which one, but it's designed for walking on the wings of planes, and it's pretty distinctive. 
Okay, so you've got that. You've got this supposed bloody fingerprint from the taxicab murder of Paul Stein. You've got uh, handwriting analysis from the letters that are being sent to the paper. And you've got a composite sketch that we've cast a skeptical light on, from, again, from the Paul Stein murder. And then you've got descriptions of from the survivors of the first two attacks. And really shitty fingerprints, I don't know if you said that, from the Paul Stein murders. Right, that yeah. It might have not even have been from the murderer because there were gloves at the scene that the murderer was wearing. Why would he take them off and leave fingerprints? Anyway, anyway, and an, another piece of evidence that I was I was rolling my eyes at as a former San Francisco resident was people putting saying, "Well, he lived in close proximity to this victim." San Francisco is a very small town, very very small, small. and I'm not talking about in, in an emotional or psychological or cultural sense. It is literally a very. I walked it back and forth four times when I visited recently because compared to L.A., it's like a village. So to, to show these maps and say, well, he lived just two blocks away and it was like, or they lived in the same neighborhood. None of that was really, that was very circumstantial evidence. Okay, so there's a journalist and an amateur investigator named Blaine Blaine. Yes, that's really his name, not a typo in my notes. He writes a column for something called Cop Watch and he becomes fascinated by the case and he works for years to find somebody who matches the composite sketch and he eventually does. It's an Army veteran named Richard Gajkowski. Gajkowski is also a journalist. He moved to Martinez, California, within one hour of all the known murder scenes, four years before the murders started. Which, this was like, this just fell apart so quickly. Christopher's were, father lived within one hour of all the murders. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? Ridiculous. Like, that's not really much of a claim. But, yeah. And I felt for Richard Gajkowski, even if he was the murderer, like, Wow, just out of the blue, like you, yeah, over there, you were the murderer. Like what? Okay, well, okay. Here's the weirdest thing about him: he did have a connection to at least one victim. They claimed in January of 1966, Darlene Farron got married and moved to Albany. Richard moved to Albany as well at the same time. Then Darlene and her husband moved back to California, and so did Richard. So maybe they were having an affair. Maybe Richard and her husband were having an affair. I don't know. Um, Very possibly he got rid of Darlene and kept Richard. Right. And so he would have had kept access to Wingwalker boots. Okay. So would anyone who was in an army medic like him would have or had access. Or went to an army navy right. surplus store and bought some Wingwalker boots. Uh, there's a connection between him and another victim, the taxi driver. Stein's sister says Gajkowski attended Stein's funeral. Gajkowski was also a journalist, which they sort of leave out when they feel like leaving out. Like he might have gone to the funeral to cover it. He's got an alibi, which is that he was in Ireland at the time of many of the murders covering the troubles there. And they eventually say, well, we have his passport application saying when he intended to go, but he could have gone somewhere else. He could have filed the reports from somewhere else. And it was like he, th those would make all of his articles about having been in Ireland fraudulent. That would be quite a risk to him if he were actually murdering and people. you really have to plan that way in advance, like in anticipation of needing this alibi. Right. To, to, to pretend that you're out of the country. And I have to say, like, my passport gets stamped when I go to other countries. Right, so yeah. the application is not the end of that trail, and I don't understand why that was not part of this investigation. They didn't they couldn't mention it. get his passport, I and bet. And then yeah. my favorite part was, remember in grade school when they used to give you like a whole page of letters and you had to find the names of the famous authors right. and circle them? Well, that's... That's basically what they say. They say, well, if you look at all the letters in the cipher, you eventually find 
a shortened version of Gaikowski, and he used to shorten his name, but he used to shorten his name to G-A-I-K, and they find G-Y-K-E. I mean, it gets really red string on the wall. Yeah, it's just like, okay, this is not the guy, and Blaine Blaine should um, shut up, shut up. Okay, and then they record him, or they trick him into uh, being recorded, and Nancy Slover, the dispatcher who spoke to someone claiming to be Zodiac on the phone, says that's the guy. She spoke to him in the 60s. In the 60s. And it's 1985. <laughs> right. So, And she says, that's the voice. Like, do you remember voices of people that you spoke to in the 60s no. on the phone? Of someone who's probably making an effort to alter his voice. Like, that's the other thing that never gets factored into the Nancy Slover I'm sorry, thing. Even if he has the most distinct, even if it's Jordan Ampersand <laughs> and he calls you in 1966 and they ask you in 1985, uh, was that the voice you heard on the phone? You're like, Jordan's pretty unforgettable. Did we have a phone in 1966? <laughs> Okay. And she's listened to who knows how many voices since then to eliminate people. In you know 1966, what I mean? when I answered the phone, they thought I was my grandmother, Leola. <laughs> well, they think that now. They too. still do. And she's been dead since, you know, the 70s. All right. A handwriting expert disqualifies him. He says it's not Gagowski's handwriting. He dies in 2004, and by then he's no longer a suspect. Okay. Um, so, uh, let me, I'm looking over my notes here. There's so much crap that they get into. I think what I want to skip to is the more recent efforts of people to solve the case and get famous doing it. (laughs) Now, I want to give more benefit of the doubt to Gary Stewart because he was the subject of a recent, um, I think it's on Hulu or FX documentary. And Gary Stewart was adopted And his biological mother tracked him down late in life to explain that she was a complete mess when she had him. She was a teenager. Um, He was... She was way worse than that. But yeah, at at least she was a teenager. Born in 1963. Adopted by Lloyd and Leona Stewart of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Actually, I was incorrect about that. He tracked down his biological mother, who had him when she was a teenager... By a man named Earl Van Best, who was 27 at the time. Um, and he got Guilford pregnant when she was 14. So yeah, there you go. Which is problematic, at least. Um, Guilford goes to prison. Excuse me. Uh, Van Best goes to prison. Good. When he gets out, Judy is waiting for him, and they go on the run together, but they abandon their baby in New Orleans, Louisiana, which is why the adoption eventually happens in Baton Rouge, which is an hour north. Thank God. Uh, when Gary Stewart sees the photo of his father, the resemblance to the Zodiac sketch birthed by the taxi cab, right? Um, that's what that's what clu- he thinks convinces him that his father was the Zodiac killer. Then he um, he goes to the latent fingerprint, also from the taxi cab murder, which apparently has a definitive scar that his father had as well. Okay. So that seems like compelling evidence if you believe that the taxicab murder was committed by the Zodiac and killer. And I don't. And if you believe those are the, the fingerprints of the Zodiac killer, which I also don't. And then he goes to a handwriting expert taking the marriage license from his biological parents' marriage to the expert. And the expert at first declares, well, actually the expert stays on the record as saying, oh, this is an exact match. And then the case seems irrefutable. And then it comes time for him to get a TV series. The producers hire a private investigator to investigate the claim. And the investigator says the marriage license 
was not written by your biological father. It of was written not. by the officiator of the wedding. So the priest who filled out the marriage license is like is the is the zodiac, right? According to this investigation, exactly. So I guess they didn't make the series. I think they did make the series. I think it's on Hulu. I've seen it advertised. And at the end, they go, "Yeah, yeah, this isn't here. This guy doesn't know what he's talking about." I don't. I, I, I would assume based on the coverage here that they ambush him or that it emerges along the way. God, the poor guy. I know. I, I mean, I, I, my heart goes out to that guy particularly because it's, you know, he's looking for some sort of explanation, you know, for right. not being taken in by his own parents. Right. And this is what he comes up with, which is big. And what he finds about his biological father is pretty horrifying. It's already horrible. Yeah. There's pedophilia. There's rape. There's all sorts of crime. Okay. The guy, his father was in San Quentin, which is there used to be a really terrible prison here in uh, California, the site of death row when we had death row in California. Okay. uh, There is another suspect who's eliminated. I don't even want to talk about that because it's not interesting enough. Um, Which suspect? Uh, who is it? That was uh, uh, K, the guy K. And again, it was about handwriting. So, And that was by way of Los Angeles, right? Well, he ended up living down here in San Bernardino County. And I think they uh, – so I'll just dive into it. Okay, so um, he was arrested for prowling, peeping Tom, and burglary. In 1942, he was admitted to the Navy Radio Material School in Chicago, where he was trained in electronics and coding. This might have given him a pair of wing walker boots like the one at the Lake Berryessa crime scene. He lived in San Francisco, only two and a half blocks away from where the cab driver was killed. We're back to the cab driver murder. Uh, Another victim worked at a cafe two blocks from Kay's apartment. The victim's sister said that Kay often came to the cafe and pestered her sister. They take a recording of Kay's voice to David Hartnell, the survivor of the Berryessa attack. Don't confuse him with Nancy Plover, who was the dispatcher. But this is, I don't know how many voices David was listening to. Nancy sure seemed to be getting a lot. A lot. David says that's the Zodiac's voice. Um, One of the cops who arrived at the taxi driver's murder scene always thought he crossed paths with a potential suspect, as we talked about. And the cops say that Kay's mugshot is the first one out of the thousands that looks like the man he saw that night. So uh, the detective who's— So what if that's the guy who murdered the cab driver but not the Zodiac? Right. Exactly. That was what occurred to me. Like, why did those have to—the insistence that they be the same thing ignores the fact that the Zodiac began taking credit for stuff after this point— yeah. That clearly he was just reading about in the newspaper. And, you know, this is also a detective who I think is dealing with this man on a different set of crimes in a different jurisdiction, kind of wanting to fit him into the Zodiac case, right? So um, this is a part in this this vein that made no sense to me, which is that this Detective Hines convinces these detectives from San Bernardino to fly to Lake Tahoe to interview Kay. San Bernardino detectives don't have jurisdiction in Lake Tahoe. I didn't. I didn't understand why Hines couldn't do it. I think Hines had been ordered off. It was just. It was more than the special. I think was willing to go into, but um, the detectives he sends on his behalf, who are friendly to his cause, say, I'm, "There's nothing here. We can't prove this case. We can't prove he did this." Um, Kay cooperates with fingerprints and handwriting samples. Uh, his answers and handwriting samples say he's not the Zodiac. He dies in May 2010 after changing his last name. He's never arrested. 
The Gary Stewart thing starts up in 2002. That we talked about already. Um, in 2021, a group of researchers calling themselves the Case Breakers, they have impeccable credentials, announce they have solved the case. On October 6, 2021, they announce it's a former military man named Gary Francis Post. Post has a habit of recruiting young men to mentor in a paramilitary way, which sounds super, super gay. Um, he, Very. T- he takes men on trips into the mountains where he's obsessed with torturing and killing animals and building bombs similar to the ones described by the Zodiac. Important note, the letter sent to the papers described making bombs, threatened planting bombs. He never did. Also threatened firing on a school bus. He never did. Um all kind of stuff to try and whip up interest in himself and keep him in the press. Uh, back to Gary Francis' post, he confides in one of the young men, Chris Avery, that he committed one of the killings. Avery decides to move away from post and to get out of his little paramilitary circle and then report everything post did. It's not clear who he reported him to. Did he go to the police? Did he go to his friends? Or did he just go to the people making this television special, which was what I wanted to know. And I guess I'd have to watch that special to find out. Uh, post dies in 2018 at the age of 80. The casebreaker somehow managed to gain access to his property They find an old photo of him that bears a striking resemblance to one of the composite sketches that Eric does not believe is the actual Zodiac Killer. killer, So I think that's a complete waste of time and a red herring. I think it may, however, be that guy, Kay, who probably killed a cab driver when he robbed him. There has been—this is the first time it's mentioned in the special, and I think the David Fincher film does a more elegant job of dealing with this, so we'll talk about this next week. There was a murder in 1966 in Riverside— County that um, was possibly, in the opinion of some involved with the case, the first Zodiac killing, even though it does not get acknowledged or referenced in any of the Zodiac letters. It was a young woman named Sherry Jo Bates. Um, The killer does send a confession letter to the local police there, but it is typed, except for the address. There's tone similarities in the letters, according to some. And Gary Post, who we were just talking about, who died in 2018 and was the suspect of choice for this for the case breakers, he was undergoing a physical examination at the Air Force Base 15 minutes from the murder. He, uh, he also had or could have possibly had wingwalker boots like the Zodiac, and his exact shoe size was 10 and a half, which I think is what they thought the boot print was from the Lake Berryessa murder right. scene. And then they say... Then they say, as they often do in these specials, once the theory became public, the public picked it apart. Post never wore glasses. Again, we're back to the composite sketch. And the Riverside PD has never believed that the Zodiac Killer never. was responsible. In fact, they were kind of pissed off about yeah. this being, uh, but it, because they thought it was screwing up their investigation of the person who they thought it actually was. So the last of these, I'm out of breath here. This one is just... My favorite. There is an Italian journalist who believes that the Zodiac Killer moved to Italy in September of 1974 because that is when a serial killer that is now known as the Monster of Florence began operating, and he killed uh, attacked couples with a small caliber shotgun. The males were shot first, um, and in May of 2018, an Italian newspaper publishes Francesco's theory. The journalist's name is Francesco Amiconi. 
Uh, and his theory is that Joseph Bevilacqua, an American Army veteran, confessed to him and agreed to turn himself in. Then he recanted. Joseph was born in New Jersey. He was in the Army from 54 to 74. His physical description matches some of the witness descriptions. At this point, it's like, which one? You have three different witness descriptions, two different composites. It's, uh, anyway. Yeah. In 1964, he was an undercover agent for the Army's Criminal Investigation Division, and one of his assignments takes him to San Francisco around the time of Paul Stein's murder. We're back to the murder that Eric doesn't think is the Zodiac murder. When Bevilacqua retires and moves to Italy, the letters in San Francisco stop, and the dead bodies start in Florence. And that's the main... That's really it. That's his main thing. Is that's that all he's got. It accounts for why the, the, the murders stopped in San Francisco and began... Um, in Florence, and right. th- I guess those things could be related, but I it just it's such a stretch, and there's very little else that links Bevlacqua to. Mm-hmm. It doesn't even really put him in the location, except for that one instance with Paul Stein. Right. So while he's an investigator, he's not actually based there. So it just seems it's it's a pretty big stretch. The confession seems like, I don't know, some drunken thing that happened in yeah. Italy. I, I'm not sure, but there was, I didn't see much in the way of evidence that he was the guy, although he may have been the, which seems to me the bigger story, the monster of Florence yeah. or whatever. Like right. that to me seems to be, like if you can link him to that, let's go with that. That right. seems yeah. like way right. more, like the, the Zodiac thing is. Just sort of like okay, whatever. It it's it would be, it might expand the reach of your coverage, mm-hmm. which is I think what the Zodiac has become mostly about. And that let's say the last note we want to make here is that the Vallejo PD recently were able to isolate a partial a partial excuse me DNA profile from saliva on the back of the stamps that were used on one of the Zodiac's letters, and it can be used to identify a suspect, but it can be used to rule out a few. Okay. Okay. And the other thing I would like to throw in, yes. just because we brought it up, is that episode 86 mm-hmm. of um, Christopher and Eric, uh, TDPS presents Christopher and Eric's, our true crime TV club series. Um, it's the, the episode is 2020, and the, it's called Taken. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the Vallejo police. Today. Today. Yeah. Of like, wow, they have really, I don't know that they were great during this period, but mm-hmm. this is, if this is still, maybe they should stop having police in Vallejo. <laughs> just get all new ones. Yeah, that was just the worst police corruption. Okay. Incompetent thing I've ever, anyway. Okay. Just wanted to sew that back up because we brought it up. So where this leaves us, the two of us, the what the Christopher and Eric of it all. Because, like, I walked away from this saying the thing that nobody is pointing out is that, and we'll get into this next week with the movie, is that there really only, well, let's say two murders, if we don't include the cab driver, that can be really definitively linked to the Zodiac killer. And then after that, there are a lot of letters claiming credit for stuff that it can't be proven that he's done. the first letter claims credit. Yeah. For something that he's done. Like, to me, that's somebody who had access to the information. Mm. To me, that means somebody from the Vallejo Police Department. Mm. That's who would have had inf- access to that information, right? Mm-hmm. That first, the woman who finds the bodies on the... On the yeah, like, yeah, she was a dispatcher was, at Vallejo. That was at yeah. Christmas, and the following 4th of July 
is the next murders. And that's when Zodiac claims credit for those other earlier murders mm. as well as the one. So even those don't seem to be a part of it. Yeah. Like they're the two women who are killed in the two in the two attacks, right? The shooting attack and then the stabbing attack. Mm -hmm. Those seem to be at least adjacent to Zodiac. But that's it. The right. two guys survive. Mm -hmm. Um I would be interested in knowing what, where they are today. Um, but that's just two murders, which I'm not minimizing that. That's no. too, too many. Right. Um, and God bless the guys who survived. And maybe he's responsible for more, but that's it. Mm -hmm. And after that, everything else is a claim. Right. And a media circus, a desired media circus. Yes. This is about getting attention. The first murder happens... Six months go by, he kills someone else, he calls the dispatcher, and claims credit for the first murder. Right. It's almost like the second murder is about getting people to know he did the first murder. Right. He didn't get enough attention, they didn't end up close to him, they didn't follow a trail of clues to his door. All right, I'm going to start sending these letters. That's one possible theory. But the movie will really make clear next week that most of this was about letters to the newspaper. That's really what most of it was about. It was about newspaper yeah. coverage. Like this right. was this was entirely this entire serial killer thing was created in the media, whether it was by the media or not. Yeah. It was in the media. And the source of the letters is a completely other element to the story. Like if I wanted to get somebody to investigate something that I didn't feel like was being investigated, that would be a really interesting way to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm. And it wouldn't even mean that I had anything to do with the murders. It might be that I was trying to to do that. The other thing, and I, I have always thought this is worth mentioning, is the absence of investigation of the parts of those two really symbolic parts of this story that don't ever really get mentioned. They They've come up with the sort of dismissive answer, the watch, and then there's another explanation in the movie um, coming up. But the Zodiac is not a single thing. The Zodiac is 13 things. Right. Is it a group of people? Is it a number of people? I don't know. Mm -hmm. You know, but because there's a different description every time there's a murder, mm -hmm. it doesn't seem like it's one person to me. Yeah. Or even that one person did all of this. Maybe Zodiac isn't anybody. Maybe yeah. Zodiac didn't do any murders. He just got a lot of attention right. for writing to the paper. Claiming credit for and the murders. that me only means that he had access to the information, which once again takes us back to Vallejo. So next week we will be tackling on our true crime movie time, our true crime pairing, if you will, the director's cut, which I am told has five minutes more footage of an inconsequential Can't conversation wait. in it, of Zodiac, the David Fincher film. The director's cut is available for rent or purchase on Amazon Prime. I think the non-director's cut, which is honestly just as good, is possibly streamable somewhere with a membership like Netflix or whatever. I don't know. We'll check that out for you next week. We'll check week. that out. Until then and forever after, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you've been listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. Thanks. This is TDPS.